Welcome to the Spirit School of Ministry podcast, where we discuss discipleship in everyday life. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Liz Jones. I'm here with Pastor Bob Wilk and the amazing Pastor Troy Marshall. He's with us here from Southern California. We are so excited to have you here with yeah. us. Uh, it's great to have you up on the mountain. I understand you were driving all day yesterday. To 11 get hours. Oh, yeah. my gosh. boy. A warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we're really excited to be able to talk with you today. Yeah, to find out a little bit about what's happening in your uh, your part of the world and your parts of the world because you're in a lot of different places. Yeah, here. so yeah. why don't you just tell us kind of where you're from, a little bit about what what you do and who you are? Well, uh, you know, we have a ministry mainly focused on world missions, training leaders and pastors. Uh, we have works in Honduras and in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we travel throughout Europe and in Asia a lot, just, you know, training leaders. Uh, our focus has always been to raise up local churches and strengthen the church. Uh, and so, yeah, this podcast works <laughs> for it's us. Right on yeah, track, yeah, exactly huh? what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we founded a, a you know, online uh, community called Lionsgate Network, um, which is basically a way to train people, disciple people online. Uh, and, you know, help them with everything, everyday issues, as well as, you know, deeper spiritual issues and doctrine and world, having a biblical worldview. Yeah. Uh, four pillars of Lionsgate is fa- fa- family, of course, uh, faith, and then, of course, uh, uh, you know, they're finding their destiny, their purpose in life, and then having a biblical worldview. Okay. And so we try to focus all of our teachings in those arenas. And so, yeah, it's been a great journey. And uh, we, you know, we uh, spend a lot of time in the nation of Mongolia right now. We have about 71 churches in our network there. And uh, Mongolia is interesting part. It's the last great mission field in the world. Mm. Um, Most people think it's China, but it's Mongolia. They're the youngest church in the world. They're only 28 years old. The first Christians when I went there, I met uh, when it opened. Uh, was landlocked between China and Russia, and no one knew the language. So it was one of the most unmissionized nations, it still is, in the world. And so uh, we sent a team from our Bible college in, and uh, I was a dean of a seminary Bible school, and we sent a team of seven in in, in 2000, and we found the first spirit-filled Bible school in the nation, uh-huh. And we train conservatively about 80% now of all the senior leaders went through our Bible school back in the early 2000. <laughs> and so um, that gave us a tremendous heart for the nation, of course, having had all those leaders. And then uh, I came in in 2000. My first visit was in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I've been going every year since then, mostly twice a year. And um, we partner with uh, the, one of the largest churches in the nation that we help build. Wow. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and so it's been great. And we've got churches all over, Western, Eastern provinces now, and a uh, great Bible school that's thriving there as well still. So, yeah. Mm, that's-, that's amazing. I, I, when you say that, I immediately I think of like a, a pioneering like that. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure people think like, how do you do that? Like, how do you pioneer into a place? Because even though, like you say, that may have been the last mission field, there are plenty of mission fields sure. out there. It's yeah. just, uh, you know, last one explored possibly, but um, it, it just seems amazing. Like, how do you step into a place like that and well, look from I, nothing? It, it's it's not as hard as people think if you have a heart <laughs> for the nation. So one of the, one of the things we always 
look for and you can't train this. Um, people have to have a desire to want to reach people mm -hmm. because no matter what you teach them and how you train them, um, you can't put that into people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, when we're sending people to some place like that, that's kind of like a pioneering situation, like you would say, um, what we're looking for is hearts. And this is where, you know, we really lean heavily on the scripture. And Paul told Timothy, mm -hmm. find faithful people that will be able. And what we normally do is find able people and try to make them faithful. Right. <laughs> and so that's always the dilemma. You know, people are really yeah, yeah. gifted, but they don't have the heart. Right. And so if you have the heart, we can train, we can train you in the rest. Yeah. You know, if you got a teachable spirit. But so, you know, we wanted people that were built for that. You know, they loved it. Um Mongolia is the coldest capital in the world. Negative 40 is the average temperature wow. during the winter months. Oh um, and so <laughs> so yeah. you don't go there in the winter, right? This is why you need well, the I'm, heart. I'm black, so <laughs> we don't do the cold. But yeah, no, I go in the winter every year now That's amazing. because I love the country. But God bless but, you. But yeah, I mean, I, my first time was brutal. Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, we look for that first. And then we planted those guys there. And um, we, we have a very strong support system for our missionaries. Like most missionaries, um, and I say this, you know, because I've been a missionary and I've been around missionaries most of my adult life. They have horrible support systems. Mm -hmm. One of the things is that mm -hmm. most churches don't send missionaries. They release people to the mission field. And it's a big difference. Sending implies support. It's apply, it, it requires covering um, it implies that there are people, there's a community that is holding you up and supporting you. And also, you know, you have to build your own support network within a country. And most missionaries are self-contained. Uh, they don't have good relationships. They, they're, they're, they're loyal to the, to, the, to the place they're in. But I'm like, everyone needs a local church, even if you're not, yes. you know, you got to be in church on Sunday. If you're not out preaching, you got to have a community of Christians mm -hmm. that you fellowship with. Mm -hmm. You can't grow outside of fellowship. And so most people think, well, I'm here. I'm not here for that, you know, but you got, you live in this country. You got to live, you got to build yourself. Yeah. And so that mistake I think is always catastrophic in the long run because they get isolated. And so in a country like that, where most of our people didn't know the language, um, you know, we train them to connect, find the people that they can connect with, build relationships, have a life outside of the ministry. And because they did that, that's why I think that, you know, that team grew to 13. Um, and, you know, we, we started off just training leaders. Anybody wanted us to come, big or small. And then that morphed into a Bible school. After about a year, we started the school there. And our wow. students all had been through school, so they knew what to do. You know, they right. we, had, we gave them our curriculum and, you know, they went through the classes already, so they knew what to teach. Um, and you know, we just kind of gave them the basics and then from there they like, Oh, we need this, you know, this is, this is not America. So we need to teach on this. Mm -hmm. And there's certain things that, um, other countries we do better, but there's other things they do better. So right. we wanted to make sure that we weren't just cookie cutter, you know, you know, right. uh, with our curriculum. So that was a, that was a big eye opener over time to see the fruit of that. And so, you know, when I go to churches now and I know the leaders have been trained by us, there's certain things we see that were kind of um, bedrock stuff for us. They don't have DNA. Basically. Yeah. DNA. Like, yeah. yeah <laughs> they know how to pray. They know how to preach yeah, really yeah. strong. Um, they're all prophetic. 
you know, in some way, uh-huh. all know how to worship. There's a there's a high praise to them and a right. you know an understanding of worship. And so those are things that I thought, oh, you know, these are all things that you can really build on. You know, strong prayer life, strong word, or respect mm-hmm. for the word. You know, and so I always know when I'm in, you know, when I go around and preach in Mongolia, yeah. I'm like, oh, I can see the influence of you know what yeah. we had on this leader mm-hmm. uh, in their church. You know. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, when you uh, you said that, like you send teams there, uh, is that a long term assignment, or is that they go there for a while, train, yeah. and come back? So, what? so when we send missionaries, we do uh, one year, and then after the year, we do an evaluation. I know most people don't like that, but I like that. Like most people want a five year commitment from someone. I, I think you can figure things out in a year, and we used to do six months. Um, which is also good for short-term missions and people that don't really feel like they want to be a missionary, but they right. want that. They need that experience. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things we we decided in our Bible school years ago um, was we didn't want to train people and then not give them an outlet right. right away to actualize what they were being taught. This is one of the greatest tragedies of most Bible schools yes. is people are educated and trained and then they go back and sit. Mm. Right. Or they go back and they're a problem for their pastor because you're doing it wrong, you know. Right. <laughs> and I, right. That's not the way we learned. It, you know? <laughs> we don't do and that. So way yeah, in our beginning years, we had a lot of that, and in, in our and of course, you know, we want to build churches, not cause problems in them. And so, you know, people were sending us people, and they come back and say, "Well, these guys are kind of know it alls, and you know, they want, <laughs> you know, they they want to change around everything." And it was the way we were training them. It was there was right. too much absolutism. In what we were teaching, we weren't training them to start to be thinkers. We were mm-hmm. training them to do things the way we wanted them done. Yes. And so later on, we adjusted that, and and we really started, you know, you know, like come in, see what the needs are, you know, and and we emphasized much more uh, of them coming to, you know, hold up and support things, so they don't feel like they got to take over, right. you know, and or or you know, give them the youth and that because suddenly it's like their own church all of a sudden. Right. You know? So, but yeah, and then, you know, we just wanted really to um, put in them things that were, what I saw was lacking. You know, I was the only guy on our staff that actually lived in the mission field. I was in Guatemala before um, when I became a teacher. I, mm-hmm. I left the, the school for a while. And I actually like, I want to go out and do this if I'm going to be training people. So I, I went out and I lived in Guatemala and I, I encountered so many different missions. You know, it's a really missionized nation. And I saw things that really caught, caught my mm-hmm. eye as a, as a missionary. And I thought, oh, you know, I noticed that the, the people didn't have, missionaries didn't have people skills. Mm-hmm. They didn't know diplomacy. Um, they didn't know, um, you know, how to communicate outside of the pulpit very well. Um, they, they didn't have social graces. And I thought, well, if God is calling us as leaders to be in the, mm-hmm. you know, the touch the PowerPoints of a nation, right. you know, w- we could get there and blow it because we don't even know how to, what fork to grab when we're eating with the president of a country, right. mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of it had to do with just maturity of them spiritually, but also naturally. And so we taught an etiquette class. Of course. You know, and my, <laughs> my wife teaches that in our school right now, you know, when people come in, we teach them like, how do you write a letter? How do you, you know, how do you do a full place setting? Um, yes. How do you address people? How do you address heads of state? And so everyone thought in the beginning, you know, they're like, oh, this is, you know, kind of overkill. 
until they were in it. And, <laughs> and next thing you know, like we had dinner with the president of Indonesia. Yeah. And we've had dinner with the ambassadors and we've been brought to different places. I, I remember uh, meeting, um, you know, the governor of Oaxaca, Mexico, and getting introduced to the president of, uh, you know, Honduras and meeting, I mean, and these are formal things, you know, as a right. missionary, I'm like, how would I know how to act in this? But those turned into tremendous opportunities for us and opened a lot of doors okay. because we knew how to behave. And, uh, and the same thing was in Mongolia. Right now, um, this is not like something we always talk about, but we're in very close contact with the president of Mongolia, the new president. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I won't say how we do that, but I right. mean, let's just say, my our guy there is very close and speaks to him all the time about all different types of matters. And and I've met the governor of states in Mongolia. I work with local officials. The mayor of the capital um, is someone we know. The sheriff of the town we know. Nice. So there's a lot of little things like that that you know we had to know learn how to do so we weren't rele relegated to just village life. And yes. we really want to change a nation. You can't change it from a village. I'm sorry. You can win souls and disciple people. But our goal has always been to impact nations. And that's not a catchphrase. We want to do that. So if you want to do that, you've got to be able to move in and out of all walks of life. Yeah. And so that's part of what we trained our students to be able to do on top of the biblical knowledge. We also wanted them to have, you know, the social graces mm -hmm. in order to do that. And some people just never learned that. We had to teach that. It's not di di difficult. You right. just got to get a book and Miss Manners book and yes. go through it. And, you know, how do you greet people? You know, how do you, how yes. do you host people? You know? And so, yeah, it was a, it was that, that I, I think was one of the big eye openers from living on the mission field. Um, and also the housing and the different things that really wear on missionaries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, there's no point in suffering for suffering's sake. A lot of missionaries feel like they're not. There's no value unless they're suffering. Suffering. <laughs> yeah, and I know we we you know Paul yeah, said yeah, you know yeah. be armed yeah. to suffer, right, right? right? But sometimes you're creating scenarios as a missionary right. that you don't need. You know, like God you said, did, I didn't plan that. Yeah, for you. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, I I saw a lot of little things like that that I thought this will give us more longevity and give us better production on the mission field. And so that's why, you know, we had a lot of missionaries that, you know, they, they stayed the three to five mm -hmm. years, but we gave them the option every year. You want to re-up. And if you don't, then let's get you out of here. Go on to the next season of your life and take these valuable experiences with you and, and move on. And so that's what people have done. You know, we've got graduates that are, you know, naval officers and became doctors, became nurses and um, some became lawyers, you know, and, and that, and they always, when I meet them, there's like the most valuable season of my life was when I went to school and went on the mission field. It changed their perspective on the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's why they are who they are because they spent time abroad and learned how to live and unpack their life mm -hmm. in another country. And it's invaluable, you know? Yeah. And so you always see college kids do that. Oh, I'm going to go travel for a year. Right put some miles on my soul, they say, but <laughs> there's some, there is some, some valuable. There's definitely value. Thing, yeah. Value in that. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're saying too. It's, it seems like such a, um, a balanced approach <laughs> because often I find that, or what I see is that sometimes missionaries, they make that their whole identity. Mm -hmm. Right. So then if they're not 
on the mission field, yeah, you know, then they come back and they're mm-hmm. not sure who they are, if they have Definitely. value, all of those things. And so yeah. I love that it, you're like, this is something you can go do, but you're, you're a discipler right wherever you are. Right. And this is something we've talked about a lot on our, um, on this, in this format with um, various people, but, right. um, how would you, I mean, obviously what you're doing is you're discipling the nations, right? right. The great, great commission, including this nation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you describe like what a disciple is and some of the best ways to make a disciple? You know, we have this blueprint in scripture um, from Jesus and when he, you know, calls us 12. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, we just, we, the thing about the scriptures that I always keep in mind is the scriptures are written for us, but they weren't written to us. And so what we do is we tend to take the scriptures and we westernize them. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we, we, we don't really fully get the meaning of things right? because it was written to a Middle Eastern culture, mm-hmm. but we do our best, you know, it's the best we do. So, mm-hmm. so we take discipleship and we look at the model that Jesus left us and we don't know how we do that because we're not walking around, you know, the streets of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. with 12 guys, yeah. you know, living off the land. We think, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so we, we take that and we do our best. So we, we take discipleship and we put it into a class or a course mm-hmm. and we have a workbook, you know, purple book or green book, or, you know, some, someone does a, a course online and it, that's great for training, but not good for discipleship because discipleship mm-hmm. is always done in the context of relationship. Absolutely. And so what we normally find is most, uh, countries or people look at discipleship in a very academic way. And so in, in the biblical times, you know, maybe you guys have shared this before, but there was two models of instruction, you know, you had the Greek model and you had the Hebrew model mm-hmm. and the Greek model was based on teachers, Socrates, uh, Plato, mm-hmm. you know, they would, you would be a disciple of that, their philosophies. Right. And so you would read their materials and you would adopt their way of thinking. Mimic that. Yeah. And so, you <laughs> yeah. know, you could tell the people by kind of how they looked at the world. Sorry. Yeah. And um, so, but the Hebrew model is different. You would never ask, you know, who are you reading? You would ask, you know, who is your rabbi? Right. And once you said who your rabbi was, then you could fully understand everything that person mm-hmm looked at their worldview, their view on marriage, their view on family, because it would get it from the person, yes. not from a not from a book or from a teaching. And so that model, that Hebrew model, was more built on relationship. Kids would come as early as five years old and, and start to study under a rabbi. And uh, you know, and that rabbi would impart to them not just his knowledge, but his way of life. Yes. And so this is why the clinical way of discipleship appeals to us Western people because mm-hmm. we, we don't really engage the way that they do in the Middle Eastern culture. Right. You go to mm-hmm. the Middle East, and I've been there several times in Egypt and, and Lebanon and Jordan, and oh my goodness, the way the, the hospitality is so different. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone invites you to their home, you're going to sit there for hours mm-hmm. and you're going to interact with their family. There is nothing clinical about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's it's the way that they do things. And if they're going to invite you over, they're going to bring their best and they're going to expect you to stay and maybe even stay the night mm-hmm. because it's the way they are. They don't want you to leave. You have to leave three times when you go to a Middle Eastern <laughs> home. You can't just say, OK, I'm going to because they think you're not serious. Oh, come have more tea and mm-hmm. sit down, you know. And with us, it's like, OK, hours up. 
you know, go get back out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> so I think that that understanding is is uh, lacking in our Western culture, and this is why our discipleship is much more based on you know knowledge than it is about impartation yes. Yes. and carrying someone's spirit. And so we have to, if you're going to disciple, you have to be able to open your life to them. Mm -hmm. And most people don't feel comfortable with their life being open because they don't feel like their life is together. But what you're not trying to model perfection, yeah. you're trying to model a way of life that mm -hmm. says I'm progressing towards a knowledge of God and a relationship with God that is transformative. And so I think when you say discipleship and who, you know, people think, well, you know, I got to get my life better before I can disciple people. Most believers are not reproducing themselves because mm -hmm. they really feel like they still need a lot of work, right. but they've forgotten more than most new believers have ever heard. Yes. And they're most believers in America. I can say this honestly are trained well beyond their level of obedience. They're educated well <laughs> beyond their good. level of obedience. They know more, they've experienced more than they're obeying, they're walking in. Yes. And and what's preventing them from that is they, they're they always inward looking, thinking that they're gonna get deeper and stronger. But the way we grow is through discipling others. Yeah. I'm, I'm the mm -hmm. Christian that I am right now because I have people looking at me that right. need me to grow. And if I want them to grow, mm -hmm. I've got to keep growing. And where we get stagnant, it's like the Dead Sea analogy, you mm -hmm. know, is we're always taking in the Dead Sea's inlet, right, right? from the ocean, there's but no it doesn't way out. let out. So there's nothing grows there. It's all salt right. water, right? You've ever been to Israel? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like my wife's Israeli. So, you know, you can stand up. The buoyancy is there. And that's, that's the problem. Because there's a buoyancy, you don't sink. We think we're not going under, you know, in the Dead right. Sea. But if you get just a little drop of that water in your eye, you're done. Right. You know, waste it. Yeah. yeah, I know. And so you, you can't look at your life and say, I'm doing okay. I'm not failing. I'm not, you know, and think that that's good. It's not. You have to be giving out. You have to be touching It's interesting lives. what you're explaining. For me, I was in my uh, background, my Yiddish background. I always yeah. call it the Kazinta and the Kazalta. <laughs> there's a lot coming in, but not a lot, a lot going, going out, out right? Yeah. And that, she's laughing at me. But it's true. I believe we're designed to do that. But the issue with that is that it requires transparency. Yes. So that people, people you're discipling see you. Right. They don't just see you or hear about you. Yeah. It's not like the you know, a lot of the American style church, like you said, is that we put somebody up on a pedestal and they go, see, they're perfect and I'm not. So I have to, I'm going to try to get yeah. enough knowledge to learn how to be like that. Right. Rather than be like that. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, you just struck some chord because uh, the Lord's been challenging me personally mm. recently, actually, even mm. prophetically about yeah. a book that I'm supposed to write. Yeah. And I, and I started re writing it again. And uh, it's called Follow Me. Mm, great title. Yes, because it's him. He didn't yeah. give them the, you know, yeah, well, look, here's, here's what I can give you. When yeah. you, you know, it was like he, he, you're, he's inviting them to follow the per himself. Right. And he's opening up his life to them, just like you're saying. And I, I love that. I love everything about the way you approach it, actually, because when you think about it, we've experienced that some here with our schools also, mm. is that people kind of go to school and become in a bubble. Right. And then they don't know how to operate outside the bubble. bubble. Yeah. And they, the other thing I love what you said is that they, ha um, you're training them on natural things, which a lot of church things are, well, that's not spiritual. Right. 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 Yeah. And I actually believe 
it may be the most spiritual thing because yeah. that's where people open up. And if they don't open up to you, you're never going to actually be able to give them yeah. Jesus, give them, uh, partake with them in discipleship. It's never going to happen because right. there's no, there's no connection. There's no relationship. Yeah, We're so it, locked into this. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. And, and this is, you know, you know, we did a, we did an extensive study on apostolic ministry, you know, mm -hmm. because that's a big thing. And so the more we begin to study me, my wife and some of our uh, team, uh, we start to see these little things emerge that are missing from what we would call our Western approach to apostolic ministry. Mm -hmm. And you can see a lot of it in the writings of Paul. Uh, to Timothy and also to the churches when he's talking about leaders. And one of the things he says, which was profound, is a leader must be given to hospitality. Right. And so what we have seen is, you know, people that we look at as leaders are some of the most inhospitable people you've ever met. You've never been in their home. You never can't get around them. They're, you know, they got ushers blocking you. They got the wall up. There's a room in the back that's only for them, you know? Yeah. And so, but you know, it's a, but it's a, it's, it was a characteristic of a true apostle is they were given the hospitality. And if you look at Paul's mm -hmm. life, you look at the letters, and this is something I didn't see yeah. for a long time is every time Paul writes a letter, he says, so-and-so greets you. Titus greets you. He's with me. He right. always had a people around him. Mm -hmm. And so, and they collaborated on those letters. He was giving them credit. That yeah. wasn't just him writing it. He'd be writing it and say, guys, take a look at this. We, anything you feel like we should add. Right. And so we attribute the letters to Paul, but he was his, his disciples, his group. He valued their opinion, their input into things. And so that's why people get confused about the letters. I mean, they sound Pauline, but there's some elements to this. Because he didn't write them all. They're, they were his disciples were with him, right. and they were like, "Maybe we should include this." I was there. You sent me, right? Right, <laughs> and I saw this. Add this, Paul, into right. this. Yeah, so great. you see that the hospitality part of discipleship is something that doesn't not always come natural to people, um, but it's one of the characteristics of a true apostolic ministry is they have to have a spirit of hospitality. And they can't be reclusive. You can't be uh, so rough around the edges that people can't be around you in the name of being, you know, strong and prophetic, right. you know, and apostolic. Right. And <laughs> if you don't have that, that's that's one of the ways that God's letting you know you're not in your apostleship right. yet. And so, you need some tenderizing. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that's that's one of the uh, things that me and my wife really tried to work on. I mean, we saw in the very beginning you know, are we even equipped to be hospitable in our own home? Do we, you know, people come, you know, do we even right. have enough coffee cups for 12 people? Yes. You know, do we have enough, are, are, is our home set up for that? Or is it so pristine that no one can come in and disturb it? You know, we, we built our homes in a way that they're not really for hosting people anymore. Right. And so we, you have to be able to open up your house your life to people in a way. And I've got three girls. And so my girls have learned that have people around you know, and it's not something we're neglecting them because they've got to enter into that fellowship with us. They can't just be like, oh, mom and dad are having people over again or someone's at our kitchen table again. You know, we raise them to be around and be discipled and make disciples with their friends because it's who we are. It's not what we do, it's who we are. And so, uh, you know, there's not one week that goes by that someone's not in our home. Like someone is always in our home that we're discipling. We're discipling our neighbors right now. There's like three sets of them that live in our neighborhood. You know, you want to disciple a neighbor, you can't get away from them. 
You know, they they know when you're home, your car's out front, right? We're having That's a problem. Wild. Can we come over and talk to you? You know, it's it's that level of, you know, they, they're new believers. They don't understand boundaries very well. So we have to work with them. We have to go through things with them. And we have to be able to live life with them. That's disturbing for most Western people because they really like their solitude. They like their eyes. They live behind gates and walls. And we don't know how to do that. And it's not taught very effectively in our local churches about we tell people to win souls and disciple people, but we don't teach them how to be hospitable. Yeah. So, you know, that's something that uh, as a person that decided we, we kind of ingrain that into, you know, it's in, it's in our church. We attend um, it's, you know, me and my wife, we we're you know, we're all over the world, but we have our own connect group Absolutely. in our church. Like people, it's hypocritical for, you know, we're on, you know, we're called pastors at large in our church and, but you know, people know me, uh, they know what we do in church. And so, you know, I've got a great seat, you know, I sit in the front row and, you know, I preach and the pastor's not there. I'm really like the associate. And so, you know, my, my pastors are like, well, we want to be a church that's connected and, you know, and I can be like, well, I'm really busy. You know, I travel right. 13, 12, 10 to 12 countries a year, you know, and I'm, I'm all over excuses. the place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, my first thought was like, I can't do that. I'm busy, you know. But then I thought, well, when yeah. I am home, what is what does my life look like? Am I just going about my business as a, you know, having a ministry? Uh, or am I really, am I making disciples, in, you know, in my Jerusalem, Judea, uttermost parts? And I thought, no, we're not doing that. It was my wife who had a desire to do it. And I was like, well... You know, how's this going to work? And 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 literally, the Lord challenged me about that. He's like, you can be making disciples all over the world, but not making them in your own home, and not in your own church. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of witness is that? What kind of, it's, it's hypocritical. Right. And so, yeah, we we started our own cell group, and and we want, you know, people grew, came, it grew. Uh, we started just going after our neighbors, you know, not just the people in the church. And so uh, the first cup, we got a couple saved across the street, and, they were having huge marriage problems and, you know, we started working with them and they're coming to home. And I remember, you know, they just, they were in a huge fight one time in the car and I'm like, you know, I'm in the middle of something in my house doing something and they just knock on the door and they were like arguing at my front door. And I'm like, oh, okay, uh, come on in. I guess we're going to have a discipleship right now. I'm in That's my shorts great. and a t-shirt, you know, yeah, yeah. my house is a little messy and, you know, and so what we figured out right away was, you know, people um, didn't care about the stuff we think they care about. That's right. Mm-hmm. We stopped caring about our house being pristine. We're having guests over. Uh-huh. You know, it's clean and, you know, we make sure it's nice, of oh, course. Yeah. But, you know, we really, you know, we really didn't want to project perfection onto people and think mm-hmm. that, you know, this is effortless. It's hard, you know, to have kids and, and you know, keep a house clean. So stop trying to act like you have it all together. because. Right. That's not real Christianity. Mm-hmm. There's right. times when stuff's out of order and we got to get it back into order. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. And so we try to invite them into our life and so they can see we have kids, we have teenagers, they act up. We have things we have to walk with them through. We got to pray with them. They're not perfect. We letting kids be kids. Mm-hmm. You know, when I ask them to be full-grown, full-time ministers right. when they're like 13, 14 years old and we don't have unrealistic expectations about where they are with Christ. Right. 
they're they're they, they got to meet the Lord. They grew up in church, man. That's you right. know, they got to meet the Lord on their own terms. <laughs> like everybody else, right. yeah, they got to find their way. So we want them to be real. We don't want them to act right. And so we we t- we we're discipling you know families like that, right? You know, like we we want to you know how, we're Christ to them right now. How do we treat them? Are we loving? Are we compassionate? They're our first disciples. My wife is my first disciple. You know, like if, if I'm not helping her grow and being there for her, ministering to her, that's good. How dare I be going to preach to ten thousand in a, in a country? So we looked at it from that very practical point of view. Yeah, and you know, and you know, the first thing we look for, and and we train our pastors in. First thing we teach them is humility. No one can grow without humility. Right. A disciple must first be humble. Uh, Jesus said this. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. That was the first lesson he ever taught. And the first thing mm-hmm. he taught in the lesson, Beatitudes, right. right, was blessed are the poor in spirit. He opened with that. And why did he say that? Because if you don't have, if you don't understand how you're poor right. in spirit, then you're not going to be hearing anything else say here. You're going to be like, oh, I don't know about that. I think that's a little <laughs> bit like this. There's no humility. There's no right. teachableness. You're not receiving. Yeah. So we yeah. look for that. If, if a person's prideful and not doesn't understand that they need to be poor in spirit. Yeah. Life normally reveals that to people that are paying attention, mm-hmm. that they're poor in spirit. And right. you never lose that posture that you still need to grow. Your spirit needs to grow. And you're, you're never attained. You've never gotten there. And so that's, a, that's the number one thing we look for in someone that says, oh, I want to be discipled by you. I want to, I want to come under you. I want Whatever the terminology they use, you know, we always let them discover, like, you know, do you have the requisite humility for this? Yeah, I think that people uh, rarely fall away from the Lord because of just simply a sin. Yeah. I believe it's always somewhere in there, there's a humility issue or a pride always. issue that yeah. comes in. And that's, that's right. a that's character right. thing. That's not a that's not something that they don't know enough scripture yeah. or it's is they haven't received that in and working it out. We, we have the saying, you know, you're, you're so spiritual. You're of no earthly good here, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you can't, you're not tangible. People can't touch, you know, they can't touch you. You're, you're in your little, you know, shell of a yeah. house. And, and uh, that's, I just love everything about that approach to discipleship. It's so, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the real deal. And it's raw and it's risky, and there's a lot with oh, yes. it, right? Because guess yes. what? People see you, the good, bad, and ugly. They like, oh wow, so you're not perfect, right? And yet, you know, we always talk about this. Like God's actually using imperfect people to bring people into a place of perfection in Christ yeah, Jesus, maturity, into the yeah. fullness and the maturity of Jesus Christ. He's not using perfect people for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so like uh, one of the things we always tell people is God is not wanting perfection, he's wanting maturity. Yeah. And so how do we know we're mature as a Christian? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Like how, you know, we is it your the time you've logged in church? You know, we know people that have been in church 30 years and they're not mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know people that have been in the Lord and can prophesy right. and move in the spirit and they're very well trained in their gifts, mm-hmm. but they lack the character of Christ because right. they've never allowed the Lord to work and sift them like wheat. And so that the stuff that is really hindering them. And this is why we see people that are, you know, we've seen this and I, mm-hmm. I, I shared about this uh, last Sunday in a church I was preaching in. I felt led of the Lord in this season that talk about the siftings of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. When have you, when's the last time you heard a message on that where God, yeah. God wants to sift you like wheat? <laughs> yeah. 
right? But, you know, that doesn't make me feel good. Jesus, Why would you preach that? Yeah, right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus told Peter, Jesus told Peter, the devil's coming. He's asked to sift you like wheat. And right. We think the next verse says, but I said no. That I'm going to say no. I'm going to protect him. You know, he says, and I'm praying for you. Yeah, right. You're going to need it. <laughs> that you'll make it. <laughs> Your faith wouldn't fail you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I thought God did not step in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. He allows people uh, to get sifted because mm -hmm. it's the qualification uh, that you know, it's what qualifies you for the next season of your life, the right. next level of your spiritual power and the next level of God's influence through you into the, into people. And so if we don't allow God to take us through seasons of sifting and you'll never make it through a season of sifting without a spiritual father or mother yes. walking you through that, you'll get confused in that. And, and you'll need counsel in the middle of a sifting because most people don't know what God is doing. So you'll need someone to say, well, this is what he's not doing. He's not punishing you. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not displeased with you. He's allowing these difficulties in your life because it's time for you to grow up. Right. And that's a message that I think derails. Uh, if you don't have it, it can, you can really get derailed in the storms of life. If you don't understand that God allows things and allows suffering. And people aren't really armed, they're not really trained right. about how to suffer. Right. And I believe that's one of the missing elements from discipleship is we don't train people how to go through suffering. Mm -hmm. And if you don't suffer with Christ, you'll never be like Christ. Right. And so, but we teach them principles to your breakthrough. You know, five keys to overcome anxiety. <laughs> yes. You know, I, 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 I laughed at that stuff when I saw it as someone who's had to deal with massive anxiety when I was in my early years, you know, as yeah. a believer, I dealt with, I mean, I'd have these panic attacks and, and it wasn't until someone discipled me because mm. I really thought it was an attack from the devil. I thought, you know, maybe there's something in my soul that's weak or broken, but someone revealed to me the reason why I'm panicking is because I cannot control everything. Oh, and I lust for control. Mm. All of us do. Yes. And so instead of telling me how to overcome my anxiety, the root of my anxiety was, that I'm a controller who doesn't want to let God run my life. I want to run it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have massive anxiety because I feel things are out of control and they are. So let them be mm -hmm. and let God lead you and trust him that you don't have answers for everything. You don't know what to do with everything. And so sometimes you walk with the Lord and you trust him, but you won't, you trust yourself. That's why the anxiety is overwhelming for so many. Wow. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't learned that lesson, and understood the key to yes. me overcoming anxiety wasn't go take a walk and, you know, uh, yes. drink a cup of coffee, chamomile, you know, all this stuff, have some me time. You know, it, I make fun of that because it's it's done a disservice to many believers that they yeah. haven't been armed to understand that the battle is not always external, that something is coming against us. It's God trying to crucify things on the inside yes. of us that we just won't let go. And I think the number one source of depression, anxiety, disappointment is that people are walking in a high level of con with a controlling spirit. Mm. It's the original issue in, in the life of a believer with Adam and Eve. Right. And so, you know, we, if you can deal with that and, and, you know, our, our goal is never to control people. That's one of the issues that people, when they come mm -hmm. in and they, they feel like discipleship is good, but then they get to me, well, like, I feel like it's intrusive on me now. 
And right. so the reason why they do that is because they don't really understand that, you know, this, the goal is not for us to control you as your leader mm -hmm. or your disciple or as your apostle, but it's for you to control yourself. Mm -hmm. And the less you control you have of yourself, the more people have to speak into your life. Right. And so the progression, the progression of a disciple should look like this, whether you're discipling pastors, new believers, whatever, whoever you're discipling, mm -hmm. there's a progression that it should look like. And it's a very practical thing, okay? So if you come to me in the beginning and your life's out of order and there's chaos in your life and you say, Pastor Troy, I need your help speaking to my life and I don't give advice, I give commands. Because if you're, going, if you're stuck and you have a flat tire by the side of the road, I don't go up to you and go, oh, I think you should pull out your jack, baby. And maybe let's try the jack, <laughs> right? Or maybe let's... Uh... <laughs> Let's see if we can blow into the tire with our air. Let's see if that works. No, I give you step. Take your jack out, put it in the, the hole. Let's start get loosen the lug nuts. Right. right, right? I don't right. Go, I don't suggest, I don't give you advice. That's I tell correct. you how to change a tire if you're stuck by the side of the road. Right. So we we know there's things that they must do. So we just right. tell them that. And most people are so shocked when they first you know meet someone who's mature enough to be able to say, why would I give you advice when you're the one who came to me and you're in trouble? I want you out of the trouble. I love you, you know? So here's what you should do. And that's the first test. Are you humble enough to take that advice? To and, receive. Yes, and walk it out. That tells me right away if we're going to be friends or you're going to be my disciple. Right. I'm everybody's friend, but I can't right. waste time hanging out and spending quality time and, and, and time away from my family for someone, right. for my friends. You, we can hang out sometimes, but for but people I'm discipling, they have an unbelievable amount of access to me because I know they're serious and want to change right. their life and they're listening. Right. And so we give commands. So in the beginning, you, I tell you what to do. But in the later on when you mature, then I, I don't lead by command anymore. I lead by observation. Good. And that means that if I look, if I'm around you in the context of us and I hear or I see something that is not off or, or is off or, or needs correction, then I'll say something. Mm -hmm. But I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying, hey, you said this right. or you're doing this. Let me help you now and, and give you some, some serious advice and command about like this is what you should do. Right. That's the progression. Then the next phase is um, I only speak when you ask me. Because you're a grown-up person now. Right. And I think you, I have enough confidence that you're going to figure things out. So if you come to me and say, I, have a, I need your advice, I need you to speak into this, I'm more than happy to do that. Because I, I, you asked me to. But after a while, I'll see things, and I'm thinking, I'm confident in their discipleship. Mm. That they're going to figure this out. Whether it's a relationship or a way of methodology they're trying or something they're doing. And, you know, they want to change jobs. And I'm thinking, you know... You know, you should pray about that. That's what I'll tell them. I, I know what they're doing is off. I mean, maybe a little right. bit motivated by the strength of their soul and their worry or fear. But I'm thinking they're going to figure that out. I'm just going to challenge them to pray and seek the Lord and and go back to their discipleship because yes. I have confidence in what we taught you and that you've been listening and that you're a grown, you're a mature person now. The problem is, is most people don't know how to let people move into each one of those phases. Absolutely. So you got people that have been discipled, they've been around for a long time, and they still got people giving them commands right. about their personal life, about their marriage. And it's, it's bizarre. I have natural kids, they're growing up. The more they grow up, the less I want to do that. 
more I want mm-hmm. them to be able to figure, find their way. And I have to trust God that we taught them, <laughs> you know, they don't get in a car with strangers, you know, like don't right. do this, you know, like at a certain point, I'm like, I got to have confidence in them or else I'm going to be controlling them the whole entire time. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's wearing, it'll wear me out. And it's the same thing. If I have natural kids and they're grown, they have a family, I don't come in and tell them how to rearrange right. their home. Right. I don't like your couch here. I think it's the flow is wrong, <laughs> right? Let, let's change the couch. You know, but that's literally uh, what people think discipleship is at every right. level. It's yeah. not. And this is because we can't release them in each season. And I, I've seen apostolic guys do this with the pastor that they mentor. Mm-hmm. They're still coming into their church telling them what to do. And it's just, it's it's off. Well, it's out of order. You yeah. know, it's we talk about that here uh, where people... Early on, those stages, I love the way we placed them because early on, you're a mommy and a daddy. Yeah. Later on, you're a mother and a father. Mm. And the transition there, the difference yeah. is significant because you're uh, someone's matriculating, if you will, in school yeah. terms. They're, they're changing, they're growing, maturing into a place they have to. And that sifting is necessary, yes. by the way, um, because if they don't, do that, they'll never be able to stand on their own. They will always require you to make all those decisions. And I think a really great discipler gets that and is willing to risk that person failing, not just, you know, early on, just like, hey, don't do that. Jesus did. Hey, that's no good. Don't do that. Or, you know, (laughs) that's that's not the way it's going to be. You're going to serve each other. You get this? This is how it's working. Right. Later on, it's like, you're going to work it out. Yeah. And I'm I'm not going to interfere with this. You know, if you've, if, you've, if you've led me, if yeah. you let me disciple you, you know my heart. You know how I look at things. Now you have to take that yeah. and work it out in your life. That is a big transition for people because people when, you know, like in Hebrews, you know, when they should be teachers, they're Yep. They're babies. They don't yep. know how to discern right from so they, they don't make their own choices. Mm. Somebody's telling them all the time yeah. what their oh, choice is. And that's, ex- <laughs> and that's exhausting. Uh, I, I you know, I understand why guys do it because they think it's helpful, but it's counterproductive for and this is why they can't disciple more people because they're too busy controlling too many people. Right. And they haven't really we have a lot of people. I thought the other day we were talking to my wife and we were talking about like, man, how many people would you say we're like you know, in our network or in our group that we're speaking into. And I thought, oh, it's a lot of people. It's, it's, you know, it's in the fifties. And like, how are we doing that? And it's like, cause we're not controlling anyone, mm-hmm. you right. know? And most of the time, if we've done our work and we've done good, they're at a point where they're only calling us when they need us. They're not calling us every week in the beginning. You know, I got some right. young guys I'm right. discipling right now. Um, and, oh my God. And they, it's, it's every day. You know, I'm getting. Right. Oh, I meet, I'm, I'm having to meet them at least once in, a week in person right now, maybe twice a week, and I'm seeing them on Sunday if I'm in church, uh, not traveling, and I, and it's it's like, oh, I need to I need to talk with you, and I thought, oh, this is the beginnings. So I said, but man, after a while, mm-hmm. you know, this will wear me out if I don't right. get you moving forward. It's like mm-hmm. I had a friend one time. He's very eccentric, but he's he loves the Lord, and he wanted a zoo, so he got a monkey. You know, <laughs> with a hip, he's carrying around his hip. And so I went to his house. He's carried around and hit this monkey with a diaper on, you know. And I was like, he's a fairly wealthy guy, you know. And so he's, uh, so one time I saw him later on in the, I'm like, where's your monkey? How's your monkey doing? And he's like, it's uh, back at the zoo. I go, why? He goes, 
having a monkey is like having a two-year-old that will never grow up. Mm-hmm. No matter how much you, they're never going <laughs> to get past that stage. And I thought that's not the way God wants us to be, uh-uh. where right. we're always in this perpetual state of you know infancy, mm-hmm. where we never really come to a place of maturity. And and we can be trained well, you know, right. but it doesn't mean that we're mature. And that's a real misconception most people have. Mm-hmm. And this is why people are well trained; they know exactly what to do. But when the storms of life hit them and it hits everyone. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, the Bible says. Right. Jesus said that. And when it does, they're confused by it because they lack mm-hmm. maturity and understanding that God will bring everybody through this storms because there is no other way for us to mature. If right. you don't go through things, you will not mature. It is right. just that simple. And this is why the Lord says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens mm-hmm. like a son if you've been a store and i've seen this all the time and you see a kid just knocking stuff off the shelf just wreaking havoc and you see this mom and you just want to go and help her because she's exhausted and she's this kid is just you know <laughs> and the whole thing's going on and you know, most people will look at that and they'll go oh you know that poor mom and but my wife made this point one time it was very very powerful she's like an undisciplined child is an unloved child Right. That's how you know that that child is not being loved. It's not that the mom doesn't have compassion for that kid, but she's got to love them enough to understand what's important right now. And they're so exhausted trying to make a career, trying to do all these things that they, they don't understand. That child needs them at this stage more than ever. And it's not a knock against them, but the more we love our children, the more we want them to be you know, disciplined. Right. And that's how the Lord looks at us. It, you know, He loves us too much to, to let us go into the next season, right? Ill prepared for life. That kid grows up. What's he gonna do? You can't do that when you're 18. They try to. You're gonna go to jail. <laughs> we all watch those clips, right, on on Facebook or Instagram. These people, you know, the Karen clips, right, you know? right, and these people being stopped by the police and. They have no sense of authority. They have no sense of discipline. Now, that's an extreme, but I think some of that behavior lives in the heart of a lot of believers because they're never allowed the Lord's discipline. And people teach them. And this is what is really disturbing. People are teaching them. A lot of people online that are very popular, there's a missing element to their messaging that's really allowing people to to think they're growing um, and what they're teaching them to do is how to escape the siftings of God. Exactly. By saying things like, well, just go and worship, uh, mm-hmm. and then the presence will be Yeah, The presence is there not to remove you from it. You can't worship your way out of trouble. People say that. Like, you say, you, you get your praise on, and you can break through <laughs> with the praise. And I'm thinking, no amount of praise is going to keep you from situations that most of the time you create that God allows because he wants you to learn through the suffering you go through. Mm-hmm. And so we don't arm people how to suffer because we think it's mean. And we want to present this picture of God as someone who only wants to love you. That's just one of his attributes. But he doesn't want to mature you. Well, then it's not real genuine love. Because whom the Lord loves, yes, he chases. He chases. That's how you know the Lord loves you. That's how you know his eyes on you. Right, you know that too. Yeah, and so if you, if, you know, one of the things we try to teach our disciples is, um, we, you know, they come to us and they want us to pray. And we made this mistake in the beginning because we weren't mature 
we had to mature past this as well mm-hmm. is we thought, well, we're going to stand in the gap with you and you know, we're going to, we're going to break this thing. And we never stopped to ask the Lord, is this you? Are we, are we, are we going to break? You? Who, did, who right. did this? Yeah. What are you doing in their life? Or, and right. we're so quick to, to, to give them a theology of rescue right. uh, and not a theology of go through, right. you know? And so, and, and because that, we have a lot of mature, this is what Paul says, because you don't know these elementary doctrines, it, many of you are weak. That's right. And many of you are, there's still gossiping and envy among you. Right. There's still petty things because you haven't mastered elementary things. And one of the elementary doctrines is faith towards God, which means God is mm-hmm. going to continually mm-hmm. put you in a position where you're going to have to trust him for things. Mm-hmm. That's an elementary thing in our faith. And what we teach about faith and what we've been taught about faith most of the time is the mechanics of faith, how to use our faith for things and situations. Right. So, so what we do is we have this massive amount of confidence in what God can do. And you hear it in all of our songs and all of our worship. Right. God can do miracles. God can, be, can provide. You're Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah Nisi. You're Jehovah Shalom. You know, and we, we have all this theology about what God can do. But we have very little theology about who he is. Right. Mm. And so we acquaint what he does with who he is, which is okay to do. But at the end of the day, if you don't know him, who he is, and the word uh, for faith in the New Testament is pistis. And the word pistis means an unshakable belief in who God is. Right. As a father. Who's God above everything? He's a father. And most disciples, uh, most people in the body of Christ, um, the most difficult relationship they have in life is with their father. Yep. And that's by design, by the enemy, because this is the number one characteristic how God wants us to identify him. Before he's a provider, before he's a healer, before he's a rescuer, a bridge, all the things we talk about, he is a father. And without that revelation of a father, none of these other attributes will ever be beneficial to you in the way that they're transformative. They'll just be a safety net, a thing you'll go to. And God sometimes will put us to the test in our faith. And faith is an unshakable belief in who God is as a father. So many times they're going through a fathering test with Mm -hmm. God. Are you going to trust me as a father? Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we come in and we'll teach them mechanics about how to break out, break through. And sometimes they need to just go through through and trust him step by step and understand that the, the real rest of God, the believer, uh, in the in the moment of crisis where the world is coming apart and they're coming apart, like everyone around them is coming apart, that they're in a state of total rest in the under the authority of their father, under the co- the care of their father. Mm-hmm. And they have a revelation that their father will not let them fail because their faith is in a person, not in a methodology of faith. Right. Like I'm believing and I'm speaking. We used to teach, I taught that right. for years. <laughs> I learned it from you guys. You just need to believe and speak. Believe and speak. Name it and claim it. Yeah, (laughs) name it and claim it. And and there's some truth to that, but but there's times, and you know this, it didn't work. Right. And then Then your faith was shaken because God was like, I'm not going to give you a a methodology to, to say your faith is based on. But I want you to know me as a father. Do you know that I'm here with you? Do you know that I'll walk with you? And and that's a revelation we can only get through suffering, through things that only God can show us in storm. 
that he's with us and he's a father. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can step in the middle of that for people mm-hmm. and, and, and shield them in the name of, I can use my spiritual authority. I can use my, my understanding of the scriptures, be able to, to rebuke the enemy over your life and lay hands on you. And, and, and sometimes, uh, you just got to learn. This is what the old time saints used to say. Folks don't know how to sit with people no more. Right. Yeah. Just sit up with them while they're going through things. Walk it through. Yeah. We always want to give a solution. We always want to say something. Mm-hmm. We always want to have a word. We always wanna, but we don't know how to just be like, let's walk this out together. Let's not, mm-hmm. There's no solution for this. You're struggling because stuff's dying in you. You're being sifted. There's stuff that God is murdering. And he's setting fire to things. And so you're panicking because fire makes you panic. And there's things that he's doing in your life that we just got to walk out. And so let's do that together. Let's not look for unrealistic solutions. And let's not try to go into a repentance session. Uh, because maybe there are some things you need to repent of. But once you've done that, then what? You know, right. you got to walk this out. So, you know, we can't rescue people from the hand of God working in their life as a discipler in the name of being a father and a mother and protecting them. You know, and one of the things we did in the beginning, we did that. You know, we would stand up and like, we're going to pray over you and right. we're going to break this right. instead of saying, we're going to pray for you that you your faith doesn't fail, fail. Yes. that you learn a new dimension of the father in the middle of this. And that, you know, we're not going to use our giant spiritual authority to, to stop what God is doing in your life. We're going to yeah. do something about that. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so, you know, uh, we're talking about, you know, how to disciple people. That's a, that's a real missing element to it yeah. is there's a lot of people who are very strong in, in Bible knowledge, but very weak in their faith right. by that definition. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. They still panic. They're still, you know, they go into hyper, we call it hyper faith mode where they're right. you know, confessing in their closet, you know, they're walking their floor. And, and what they're really saying is I don't really trust you, God. I trust my mechanics. I right. trust my, mm-hmm. my methodology. So I'm going to double and triple down and I'm going to confess more. I'm going to talk more. I'm going to, and, and what do they do? They get more spiritual thinking this is the problem. <laughs> and the problem isn't your, your church attendance or that you right. miss cell group or your, or your, you know, connect group, or, you know, that you're not in a word enough. Uh, that may be it, but part of it may be that God is just trying to reveal something right. um, that is lacking in you and then also reveal a part of himself that you're not very well acquainted with. And if you don't understand that, if you don't have someone helping you, and this is where a book or a Bible study won't help you, right. you've got to have someone that knows the Lord and has a, has been acquainted with his sufferings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is why Paul was such a, a, a transformative leader, because no one suffered more than that guy. Right. And how do you think he made it through those suffering? He, he gives us all these little breadcrumbs through Scripture right. about how he started off as the chief apostle, you know? Right. And then later on at the end, he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> you know, you saw this progression of humility mm-hmm. and understanding how to trust God. In, in prison and in jail, he's yeah, he he's learned. a different guy, right? Than well, he, he's raising the dead. He had all the knowledge prior to that, right? Yeah. He's the Pharisee of Pharisee. He yeah. had all that knowledge of the about God, yeah. but not the relationship that he God wanted right. with him. You yeah. know, um, I have something about this that, that triggers some things, and that is um, many times uh, in church now, people, you know, you hear the, you know, that 
from Paul that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Yeah. And we stopped there. Yeah, without the fellowship <laughs> of his suffering. It's yeah. like, what happened to the, uh, it's like, no, that scripture has been erased, right? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm nailing myself. Here. Right, thanks for <laughs> helping me out here. <laughs> That's, yeah, there. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but they, they, you know, we skip the fellowship of his sufferings because we, we have this saying, you know, I know pastor, our pastor, Pat, he'll tell everybody, he goes, people don't want, necessarily jehovah god they want jehovah genie yeah we've taught people that you access god you know you put a quarter in and then pops out uh, right what you what right. you want yeah what you think you need yeah vending machine well i think the same thing too about the scripture in revelation about you know they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, testimony. And we're like yes like the blood and there. my testimony i'm just going to keep saying it just going to yeah. keep saying it and then but what's the rest right and they love their not life. their life unto death, death, right? That yeah. there's a there's a laying down of yourself. There's a, a surrendering of your life that's, very good. that's required yeah. for overcoming. And those are like those last little, um, you know, parts of those <laughs> things. We it's really easy to let them go, but they're so yeah. critical to understanding how to actually bring people into maturity. And some things only happen through the struggle they only happen through the dying <laughs> through yeah. let, i love what you're saying like let god murder things in your life yeah. and set fire to things in your life and some things only happen in the waiting right and we have to be people that are faithful to um help people hold on not just hold on and sit back and wait in the waiting but mm. press in in the waiting and wait in the lord and allow him to do the work in their in their soul and that's really something as somebody who's discipling people mm. that we have to bring ourselves like as you said it's really easy to want to step in and be like well i I'm going to help you. We're going to, I'm going to help you. Yeah. I'm going to bring my, my mantle and we're going <laughs> to, yeah, we'll we're going to sort yeah, this right out, now. you know, and, yeah. and then we're just teaching people to be dependent on us. Right. You know, and not on the Lord. And, and also yeah. we're getting in the way yeah. and, you know, part of a big part of discipling people is getting out of the way of what God is trying to do in their life yeah. and, and not be, uh, you know, that mothering, fathering thing can take on a very soulish nature at times right. yeah. because we see our kids, we don't want them to suffer. Right. But we also have to understand that, you know, unless we allow them to experience life and make mistakes, they're never going to grow up. And so we have a, a generation of believers that uh, do not believe, frankly, do not believe that God would allow them to suffer. They think it's cosmic child abuse or they mm -hmm. feel like, you know, the idea of eternal judgment is something. How could a loving God let, right. let his kids be judged? Or, and then you, you hear the terminology coming out of them as well. It's like, no one can judge me or no, nothing can be judged in my life because I'm, right. you know, I'm in Christ or I'm under grace. And, but it's the, it's the job of mature Christians to judge things. Yes. Yeah. It, it's one day the Bible says we'll judge angels. That's right. We, we can't judge each other in situations right. and right. say, this is off, mm -hmm. right? This is wrong. Stop this. Right. Yeah. And so sometimes in the name of, you know, uh, discipleship, you, you, people don't want to just tell people like this. I'm looking at this. I'm going to judge this. This is a yeah. bad decision or this is not the way to go. Yeah. You know, don't do this. And right. so we don't want to be too, you know, too direct or too good. But that's exactly what maturity dictates is that we judge what's going on in a person's life. We don't can condemn us. We don't condemn mm -hmm. people, right. but absolutely Mature believers must judge things. We must dissolve. This is one of the characteristics of apostolic people or a person's walking in their apostolic mm -hmm. mantle is their ability to, to dissolve disputes between yes. the saints. Yes. Paul did that constantly. Yes. 
Right. Right. And he's like, okay, tell this person this, and this is this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people acting up in church, mark them, you know? And so this is how we're (laughs) going to deal with them. That's pretty serious. Yeah. (laughs) So we, we, as, as mature believers or or if we're discipling someone as a mature believer, you know, part of what we do is that we have to look at things and say, this is what it is. You know, this is what it is. And and when people are acting a certain way, we have to say, you know, you're acting in a way that's is, is unbecoming to Christ. It's not, oh, you're having a bad day. Or, oh, you know, we understand the trauma that you've gone through. You know, the, we, we challenge them to rise above their, their set of circumstances right. that life has dealt to them. And it's a testimony that Christ is real and working in their life, that yeah. they're able to overcome their, their shortcomings, not give place to them or label them something or give them some sort of room that says, well, because you went through, you get a pass from not having to be like Christ. Right. We're giving yeah. them excuses. Yeah. yeah. And, and so is- if, you, if you've heard, a, you know, a, if you had a steady diet of that, and that's what you're hearing constantly from mm-hmm. the people you're choosing to listen to online or well, whosoever right. podcast you're listening right. to at the time. And that message is, is absent from their teaching. Um, and they're really just trying to tell you, you know, how much God loves you. And, but they're not telling you, but whom the Lord loves, he chases. You yeah. know, you, you're, you're going to grow up with a warped sense of who God is. And ultimately, you'll be disappointed with him when he, in his love for you, allows right. you to walk through the storms of life. And you don't have, you're not equipped for them. Right. So mm-hmm. we equip people for that. That's one of the. That's wonderful. We, actually. We, yeah, yeah, we equip people to suffer. We we don't rescue them from it. Um, we talk to them about renewing their mind. What does that look like? Is it that you, you know, we've heard it like, oh, we have this scripture and we want to replace this ungodly belief with this belief from the Bible. Yes. But how does that look? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in life. Yeah, because yeah. most of the mindsets we have. Um, can't be undone through Bible study. They have to be undone through God revealing them to us and then seeing the destructiveness of that, that mindset and then allowing us to begin to despise it enough where we begin to reject it. And we allow the scriptures to then have entrance into that arena of our thinking. And most people think it's just confession. If I confess this one scripture enough, it's going to somehow permeate, but it's the old adage. It's like, you don't put a new diaper over the old diaper. And expect the old diaper not to seep through. But that's what people are doing when they come to a Bible study without allowing the Holy Spirit to uproot, you know, prophetically inside them, not someone doing it. And if if, if I've got to speak into things at a certain point, that means you're not hearing from God and I'm failing. As a and they're not maturing, and and they're not maturing or you're not allowing them. Yeah, if I've got to yeah. give you the same uh, prophecy three or four times or I got to keep speaking to something. <laughs> It's it's a it's an indicator this isn't working. You know, either I'm not getting to the root of this, right. or you're not listening. So either way, we're not doing good. Something's not something yeah. something's not discipling. Something's not, yeah, something's <laughs> not clicking. And so, but we keep we keep at it with people because we understand it. this is not you know this is a journey we go on with people. One of my biggest issues in the beginning was I, I was very impatient with people. You know, because I'm a guy, uh, and my personal nature is like once I see something. That's wrong. I fix it. I, I just go in there and do it. Mm-hmm. I, I know I were sure I got that from, um, but it's just the way I'm built, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I tend to, to, when I see something, it's I'm repenting quickly. I'm dealing with it quickly. I don't live in a denial. You know, I'm very much like, here's what it is. I need equipment. I, you know, I bend the knee and I go forward, you know, <laughs> but then I, I, I didn't, you know, have a lot of patience and long suffering for people who didn't know how to do that. They just didn't cut my, I'm sure it had something to do with my upbringing. You know, mm-hmm. I, 
my dad was <laughs> didn't suffer a lot of foolishness, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, but you know, but I, I look at that, I think, oh, you know, it, it created this impatience with me, where I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of mercy for people, um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't really know how to, um, you know, love them through that process in a way that wasn't like uh, withdrawing in order to get them to perform better. Right. So I did a lot of that in the beginning. You know, I just thought, well, you're not listening, so I'm going to stop, you know, giving right. you access because this will get your attention. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of turned my love off for them. And so so they would feel it because, you know, they were like, oh, right. Pastor Troy's not happy with me, and now I want to motivate them with We're that. manipulating them, Yes. Basically. Yeah. Yes, in a nutshell, right? And so that's what cults do, you know? Yeah. And That's right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I thought, you know, they really convicted me about it because this is a very unhealthy methodology mm -hmm. that I've developed just from my impatience. You know, I want mm -hmm. these people to change, and this is good for them, you know, right. to feel my wrath or to feel my, right. my dismissal or my lack of attention. And so um, in some ways it was very counterproductive because then people felt like, well, your love is conditional then. And so then I, I don't really feel like it's genuine. Hmm. And so I had to learn, you know, to, to, you know, to be patient with people. That was one of the biggest things. My kids, my wife, my workers, my, my employees, uh, you know, the guys I disciple, it was one of those missing attributes in my character was and it would manifest in ways that I really didn't get, you know. And then, you know, the Lord revealed to me through a series of my own mistakes how patient he was with me. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, it was one of the biggest eye openers, you know. You, you would have been your own taskmaster yeah. if you were in charge oh, of you, right? <laughs> yeah. And it really, you know, one of the things we, we want to do with people is we want them to get the soften the voice in their own head, mm -hmm. you know, because many times our, God's voice sounds like our voice, right? And so we're so hard on ourselves and we have no patience with ourselves. And I was like that, no patience for myself, you know, something happened, I, you know, lose it or I get upset and, or I, you know, do something. And I, I was just like so hard on myself. It was hard for me to come back from it. And, and even come back around to the Lord because I felt like he felt the same way, you know? And mm -hmm. so I had to go through a time where, you know, I saw how that was affecting the people in my life, mm -hmm. like my wife and my children and my friends, the people I was discipling. And the Lord revealed, like, your lack of patience is undoing all the things you're trying to portray to them. You don't know what unconditional love looks like because you haven't allowed yourself to experience it with me. So you can't, it can't come through you until it comes to you. And so I spent a lot of time asking that question, what does unconditional love look like? Hmm. And so, you know, my Bible study and my you know, time of just asking the people that were, you know, my leaders, you know, took on a different aspect because most people can't describe it. They can teach, oh, the unconditional love of God is, you know, you keep your love on, it doesn't matter your condition, you still love people. Mm -hmm. But I was looking for a very much more practical, uh, experiential thing that I just could not seem to get my hands around mm -hmm. until, you know, I really, you know, went through a time where I'd like, you know, the presence was still there. And I'm like, well, I'm not praying like I should have been. I'm not, I'm not even in a level of obedience that I should be in. But yet God is still pouring out his spirit on me. And I thought, oh, the, like maybe he, I'm not getting this right. You know, like 
maybe he's much more interested not in my perfection or my my uh, my production and all the things that I think were important for the kingdom and building the mm-hmm. kingdom as he was in my in me as an individual as a son, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh my God, that was a that was such a breakthrough wow. for me because I had never experienced that in my own life, and I'm probably sure people showed it to me. I just couldn't receive it, right? You know, and so I thought this is it was it was one of those very life shifting things that I learned how to love people unconditionally with all their faults, with all their issues, um, with everything they're walking through, and then not give up on them, mm-hmm. you know, when, they, yeah. when they're doing badly and they're failing me, they're failing God, they're failing the kingdom, you know, or they failed the kingdom and you don't know how to restore them, you know. And this is a real issue, I believe, in the body of Christ is we really don't know what unconditional love looks like. We preach about it, we talk about mm-hmm. it, but in, in the practical everyday life, um, most people don't want to be walked on. They don't want to be taken advantage of. And they feel mm-hmm. like being unconditional in your love opens you up for that. And it doesn't. You can never be taken advantage of if you're walking in the love right. of God. It's impossible. I will not allow it. You know. And so there's times when we have worked with people and discipled them, spent time with them, and they do something, turn on us, or they actively work against us. And, and this was when it came in. Am I going to keep my love on for them? Mm-hmm. They're acting in an immature way. You, you hit a nerve. You challenge them on something that they just won't let go of. So they've got to make an enemy out of you because they don't want to fix it. Mm-hmm. So the problem can't be them. It's got to be you. Because if it's problems me, then i got to deal with this. And I don't want to deal with it. I'm not equipped emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that. I was like, this is obviously you. Right, <laughs> it's not me. It's Can't you, be. like that old term when you're the girlfriend. I'm breaking up with you. It's not. It's not you. It's me. You know. Yeah. No, it's you. <laughs> no, it's you. That's the reason why we're doing. Yeah. It. So, and so that's when the test came in, and I I meet so many pastors and leaders um, who they 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 would never admit it that, but they've turned their love off for people, and now they're walking in a stronghold mm. of cold love, and cold love works like this. Um, I love you clinically, biblically, but not practically, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going through something and you go, I'm praying for you. I'll be praying for you. That's horrible. But I'm like, well, are you going to show up? <laughs> I need you in my house right now, right? And and maybe maybe we're at odds and, you know, I don't know how to be there for you because, you know, there's a rift between us. Or if you're a pastor, how that looks is you just never let people get close to you anymore right? Mm-hmm. because there have been Michelle. too many betrayals. And so like the Jensen Franklin book, Can You Love Like You've Never Been Hurt? Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the challenge. Right. For leaders, and and one of the things why you don't see discipleship in a lot of you know, especially in bigger churches, because that journey to become a, a mega church, most people don't know that journey is rife with betrayal mm-hmm. for a lot of leaders to get to that place mm-hmm. um, where they kind of fine tune the way they do church in such a way that you can handle thousands. Right, they've gone through a lot of leaders in order to do that. And it's been their mistakes and the leaders' mistakes that they didn't know how to love each other. Mm. And so I, when I get into the talk with these men and they ask me, you know, I'm bored or um, I, I'm feeling disconnected. I'm just going through the motions. <laughs> and my first question is, it's like, well, you know, your life doesn't have meaning unless it's really impacting other people's lives. You know, and they think right. they are because they're preaching every Sunday. 
but they're not discipling anyone as right. a leader anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so if you don't have that going on, your soul will dry up on you mm-hmm. and you'll look for meaning. And this is why you see guys with mega churches and they have these, these hobbies that they're so engrossed in because they're looking for meaning. They're on their boat or they're hunting all the time or they're doing things like, uh, you know, going on these, ex- these trips and, and they're, or they're, they're, they're outside of their church as much as they can be. Mm-hmm. And they're, uh, and, you know, they're going around cause they're finding fulfillment in the travel in exe- mm-hmm. itself. And they're, 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 they're engulfed in these hobbies cause they need, you know, an outlet they say, but mm-hmm. really what the issue at the core issue is, is they lack meaning. It's like they, they climbed the ladder of success and they found it was leaning against the wrong building. Right. And then what do you do? It's a crisis now. And you, because you built this church and uh, let me tell you this quick story. I hope we have time. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, I got to know a little bit was Larry Lee. If you remember mm-hmm. Larry Lee, he used to be the prayer guy in America. Right. At one point had a large church in America. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he told me this story personally. He said that um, he got to the pinnacle of ministry where he had the number one TV show in a Christian TV show in America on TV. He had the largest church in America and his church income was phenomenal and he was never more depressed. Mm-hmm. And so he said he knew why he was depressed, but he couldn't tell anyone because it was so difficult for him to reconcile. So he said when he first started out in ministry, his dad was very wealthy and his dad was a builder. He used to be build homes in Dallas, Texas. And so um, his dad said to him, you'll never make it. You're going to be penniless and broke. Mm-hmm. And so his thing was like, I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. And and whole ministry was based on that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show uh-huh. my dad he was wrong about me. He he was such a brilliant guy. You know, uh, you know, Pastor Larry, he's he's mm-hmm. brilliant, like intelligent wise. Like he's one of the most intelligent guys I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And so he he did that. He went about building the greatest organization. Probably, I don't know, there's many guys that would ever duplicate what he's done um, because he had a church. He had these massive stadium crusades for prayer, not you know doing miracles. <laughs> he's bringing people together. He has such a powerful message. He's bringing stadiums of people together to pray. I mean, I thought this was in the 80s, you know, like that's how powerful this guy's ministry was. And, and then, you know, he had this inc- amazing TV program that was reaching so many people. Mm-hmm. And then he said his dad was on his deathbed. He went to his side. And the dad's one of the dad's final things was, I'm proud of you, son. You showed me that I was wrong. And he goes, mm-hmm. he weeped at that. He cried. He thought, oh, this is, thought this would be the pinnacle. Sent him into the greatest depression ever mm-hmm. after that was over. He had no more desire to build, no more mm-hmm. desire to do anything. Because mm-hmm. of that one moment with his dad, and he said he lacked meaning, he, because everything was about making sure his dad knew. Mm-hmm. And right. his dad said, "I'm proud of you. I saw what you did. I, I get it. You know, I was wrong. You know, your success." And that was his dad's deathbed confession to him. And and I thought, oh wow. my goodness, how many of us as leaders are doing that right now? You know, we are basing all the energy, all the momentum in our life is trying to get God's approval or to show God that we're good servants and we're good people. And it's not coming from a place of just, I love people. 
Mm-hmm. There's no reward outside of that. The reward is people. The reward is representing my father yes. in a way that's transforming people's lives. That's mm-hmm. real Christian maturity. Is I'm a, I have the grace of God has made me and is making me a perfect representation of who he is to people. And, and I'm demonstrating that in a way that's transforming lives. And I take no credit for it because we know it's the good, God gets the glory because I'm incapable of that on my own. But that is the pinnacle that will never allow you as a believer or as a Christian to ever lose momentum in your life. Whenever I'm feeling discouraged as a believer, mm-hmm. I know why. I've become too inward looking and I'm not helping people anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I'm, or I'm helping them and I'm not doing it with the right motivation. Yeah. Right. And so I, I immediately make that course correction in my heart because that's what it's about. It's not about, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I've got X amount of people that I'm discipling. I've got 71 pastors in our network in, in Mongolia. And so I'm, I'm doing it. I'm killing it. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm discipling X amount of people because we can be doing all that, but with all the wrong motivation. And so yeah. All the air goes out of our life. All the momentum, all the energy is mm-hmm. gone. And you don't really feel like getting up out of bed anymore because it's like, oh, I got to deal with these people again. You know, I got to deal with what's going on. My motivation is not, yeah. it's not right. Well, then the people become a burden to you rather than bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Yeah. Some, someone that you're yeah. uh, actually entangled with in life, and which is fathering the, right. the, the actual yeah and it's got to be you know it's got to be done from the right heart and motivation i'm convinced that this is a lot of why we have so many believers that are not they have no momentum in their life hmm. church has become a drudgery work everything is a drudgery to them and we have resurrection power on the inside of us. I'm reminded, I remind myself of that when I'm feeling that way, because I feel it too sometimes. And so I get up and I'm like, why am I, like, I don't want to do today. Can we just stay in bed? You know? <laughs> like, I don't want to go through the, and I, if I find myself doing that on Sunday morning, I'm going to my father's house and I'm not excited about it. I'm like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Because I'm in the mechanics of Christianity. And, the, and my first prayer is God restoring me the joy of your salvation. So what does that mean? That means that I'm not saved, you know, mm-hmm. from hell. I'm saved for something. Right. And I'm not doing that right now. That's why this is my Christianity right. has become drudgery. And what did God save us? Uh, to be his sons, to represent him, to be a part of the family of God, and to impact others' life. Your life will never have meaning unless it's impacting someone else's. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what rich people figure out, uh, why they're, they're so f- philanthropic. Right. Most people think it's for taxes or something like that, or they give money away because they want, you know, prestige. But what I know some very wealthy people, and they, they said this. They said that they, they wish that more people would get money, more Christians would get money, figure out it's not the answer. Because mm-hmm. you, they have it, and it's counter it's counter uh, pro- productive for them in their person, in the life of their soul. He's like, because when you can get anything you want, then you don't want anything. And now everyone's everyone gets things, you know, uh, because of w- how they think it's going to make them feel. Like you buy a TV, and you don't need a seventy-inch television. But my goodness, does it make you feel good to have one, right? <laughs> when you turn that thing on and the picture's so crisp, it, you don't need that. But right. we get it because of the everything we get, the, the clothing we wear, uh, the car we drive, we the home we live in. We get it because the way it makes us feel. Mm. So what if we could feel that way without the stuff? 
That's mm-hmm. the definition of true fulfillment and happiness right. is you you have that feeling of fulfillment without the need for anything. Mm-hmm. And the only way we get that is knowing that we're fulfilling the heart of our father, which yeah. is changing lives, man. If yeah. you're not doing that, I'm sorry. There's no way you're going to be successful and find true joy and fulfillment. And I've been there so many times. And now we we immediately know when a pastor mm-hmm. comes to me and say they're battling depression. You've seen this. Yeah. You've seen pastors committing suicide. And some of it's mental illness, but some of it's just the level of uh, their discouragement mm-hmm. is so high. And, then, and we saw guys in my own community, a thousand member church commit suicide right. and everyone's getting to try to get their head around it. And, and, but you know, he, he, they, they went into that spiral like all humans do and they didn't know how to pull themselves out because they didn't know what the real issue was mm-hmm. and they had no counsel and nobody was discipling right. them, nobody which is a sad them. thing. Yeah. But you, we did see that, that that's the real issue. Yeah. Pastor Troy, we have so appreciated your yeah. time here with us. Pastor Nobody Troy, talk, y'all. No, it's been no, no, we it's love been it. wonderful. We love it. <laughs> thank you. I know you're here doing a retreat here in Miwok, yeah. and so we so appreciate you just taking some time to talk with us. I know whoever's listening, you're going to want to go back and listen again because there's so much right. in here that we can um, just chew on. So thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Pastor Bob, for being here again. I'm here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and thank an you. Uh, yeah. Thanks for you. joining yeah. us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. And for more information, visit spiritschoolofministry.com. <laughs>